No shades of death nor hell beneath thy people from thee sever. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. With that on, in our minds and on our hearts, we come to our passage, Philippians 1, the verses 18b to 26. Now, we're continuing to work our way through the epistle of Paul, the apostle to the Philippians, and Paul, as, as many of you uh, know, he's, he's busy writing this epistle to the Philippians from prison. And the Philippians are a church that have been with him from the beginning. They love him deeply. They care about him. And they want to uh, support him. They're very concerned about him and the situation that he finds himself in here in prison. And they're concerned about the opposition that's risen up. They're concerned about the outcome of the trial that he's going to face. And he's writing this because he loves them. He's writing this in response to all of that and to encourage them in love besides. We've seen a little bit of that already with the earlier passage, the lead up of this, where he talks about his delight that it doesn't matter that he's changed, the gospel is still going out. It doesn't matter that some people are still doing it from selfish ambition, the gospel is still going out. And then we come to verse 18. We can even start from the beginning here. It says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I choose, I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So far, scripture reading. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a remarkable Christian hope that is, isn't it? It's a beautiful confession of faith that's made by the Apostle Paul in our passage today. It's one that's founded in the promise of Jesus Christ in Matthew 28, verse 20. Behold, I am with you always. If we look back in history, the missionary John Payton landed on the island, Patton landed on the island of Anitium in the New Hebrides in November of the year 1858. And for him, this was one of the things that was at the center which encouraged him 
to continue. And it was necessary because during his time there, he faced a lot of hardship. He and his wife had great reason for joy in February of 1859 with the birth of a beautiful baby boy, but within two weeks after bouts of fever, pneumonia, diarrhea, and delirium, his wife passed away. And a week later, his little boy passed away as well. He buried them alone with his own two hands. And after a period of great sadness and mourning, he returned to his work. Day after day, he experienced pain, sickness, and loss. And yet this knowledge of Christ being with him always continued to carry him through. He lived among a people trapped in darkness. They were cannibals eating the flesh of their enemies. They burned the widows of the men who died, the men who died from battle or sickness. And they blamed him for everything that went wrong on the island. If there was a storm that wiped out a part of their crops, they blamed him. If sickness hit the island introduced by traders who wanted to kill them, they blamed him. If they had a series of events in which everything went wrong, they blamed him. And on several occasions, they tried to kill him. And yet, he held fast to Christ. Behold, I am with you always. To live is Christ and to die is gain. He often rebuked the people that he preached to, even while having weapons pointed straight at him. And at one point, he writes, One morning at daybreak, I found my house surrounded by armed men and a chief suggested that they had assembled to take my life. Seeing that I was entirely in their hands, I knelt down and gave myself away, body and soul, to the Lord Jesus for what seemed the last time on earth. Rising, I went out to them and began calmly talking about their unkind treatment of me and contrasting it with all my conduct towards them. At last, some of the chiefs who had attended worship rose and said, our conduct has been bad, but now we will fight for you and kill all those who hate you. And there again he had to intervene. Constantly he went back and forth between warring parties, going from one camp to another, writing, going amongst them every day I did my utmost to stop hostilities, setting the evils of war before them and pleading with them, with leading men to renounce it. For such men, John Patton and the Apostle Paul, that gospel promise of Jesus Christ carried them through. Behold, I am with you always. John Patton writes beautifully, without that abiding consciousness of the presence and power of my dear Lord and Savior, nothing else in all the world could have preserved me from losing my reason and perishing miserably. In that promise of Christ, the consciousness of the presence and the power comes the assurance that for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Because as a Christian, when I live, I'm living for Christ and for his kingdom, whatever sphere I work in. The very fact that I belong to Christ means that this is a reality. And everything then becomes kingdom work, whether it is done well or not. And when I am done that work, Christ will take me home to him. To live is Christ and to die is gain means that as one who belongs to Christ, Christ's presence means our gain in life and in death. And we'll see, first of all, deliverance, secondly, gain, and finally, reassurance. 
Now, in our passage today, as we come to our passage here in Philippians, as we've seen in weeks gone by, we continue to see the Apostle Paul in chains. And that church that so dearly loved him is terribly distressed at this. And they're even more distressed at what this might mean for him. Because if his court case does not go the way that they pray it does, then it can mean a death sentence for him. So with what does the Apostle Paul comfort this congregation which he so dearly loves? First, he speaks about his rejoicing. And then he speaks about deliverance. That's comforting news, isn't it? A, a sure hope of deliverance. But it's not the deliverance that you might immediately think about. Consider the context in which he speaks about this deliverance. He's just talked about how Christ is preached despite his chains, how the gospel of Jesus is triumphing even over false motives. The good news of the gospel is being preached, and in this he rejoices. And he goes on. In the second half of verse 18 and following, he says, Yes, and I will rejoice. Why? For I know that in this, that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. For I know that this, the gospel that he delights in, the gospel that he preached, will turn out for my deliverance. Look at the this that comes before this passage for a moment. If you look at verse 18, it says, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice that Christ is preached. It's the very same this that is being referred to here in the next verse. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. It's not freedom from a physical prison that is the Apostle Paul's deliverance. When he, seeks, uh, when he speaks of freedom, that's immediately where our mind jumps to, right? He talks about deliverance, he's in prison, in chains, and our mind immediately jumps to this physical deliverance. But it's not freedom from a physical prison that is Paul's deliverance. And he drives that home when you look a little bit further. It says, this will be my deliverance, whether by life or by death, the end of verse 20. Even if he dies, this deliverance will remain. It's not freedom from a physical prison that is Paul's deliverance, but it's the magnification, the, the preaching of Christ that is Paul's salvation. Christ's being preached will turn out to be the ultimate deliverance for Paul. He goes on to explain in verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope, Nothing, of nothing shall I be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body. So Paul is talking about the gospel, this gospel that will be his deliverance. But what does that actually mean? What does it look like? Well, the heart and soul of it is this. The deliverance that he's talking about is a deliverance that looks towards eternity. That's at the forefront of his hope. 
As a believer, Christ is magnified through his body. As always, he says, so now also Christ will be magnified. It's not something that just happens now, but it's always the case. Not something that he just looks to in the future, but it's always the case. And what does a magnifying glass do? If we look at that word magnify, what does a magnifying glass do? Well, if you have a telescope, you look at something that's far away and you're able to see it more clearly, right? But a magnifying glass looks at something that's close by and it brings special attention to it. It increases the size of it for you to view. A magnifying glass brings special attention to something. And so for him, he says, as a believer, Christ is magnified through his body. Special attention is brought to Christ. Christ is made big, you might say, through his earthly walk of life. Christ is made big through, more importantly, his salvation that he's received. Their very fact that he belongs to Christ The very fact of salvation serves to bring special attention to Christ's righteousness and Christ's mercy. The fact that he is in Christ magnifies Christ. The way that he lives in response to this serves to put all the focus not on Paul, but on Christ. The way that he dies serves to put all the focus not on Paul, but on Christ. That's the life of the Christian. This is the truth of the Christian life. Christ is made big in your life and you become small. By having Jesus as your Lord, this is simply a fact of your life. You are claimed as Christ's and in him salvation is yours. Being a Christian, therefore, means that you are different from this world. You are no longer at the center of your world. Christ is, and the Spirit of Christ lives in you. The Spirit of Christ transforms you into a new person. It transforms you to one who belongs to Christ. It motivates you. It changes who and whose you are, and in light of that, it changes your wants and ambitions, and it makes you all around different from the world around you. And the fact that he calls the Philippians to prayer shows this salvation's complete dependence on something that is outside of yourself. You're no longer thinking of yourself, but you are looking to Christ. You're no longer thinking of this world, but you're thinking of a world beyond this one. And if Christ is at the center of your world and at the center of your life, it means that you belong to him in the present, and if you belong to him in the present, then Christ will claim you on that final day. As he has said earlier, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. You have no need for fear. Your salvation is at hand. Christ himself will claim you as his own. And this knowledge means that you have no fear of what comes after death. This brings us to our second point. 
So Paul's explanation doesn't talk about this hope in spite of death. But it even talks about death being another avenue for this deliverance. One which is gain for the Apostle Paul. What a remarkable thing to say. So what is it about death that makes it a reason for gain for him? Well, this is because to die is to be with Christ. How much have you considered that, brothers and sisters? That to be with Christ is gain. Usually when we think of death, in our context, we live in a pretty peaceful society. We can thank the Lord for that. This also means that in our context, death seems to be something that we think happens mostly just to older people. And when we look at those whose earthly walk is coming to an end, and they talk about going forward to their heavenly home, we, we understand the strength and the joy that they have as they look forward to that. We have a hymn about that, don't we? Hymn 74, we know that if our earthly tent falls to the ground, all worn and rent, our God as gift to us extends a heavenly house not made with hands. This part of the hymn is a quotation from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 2, which uses, the word, uses a word picture for our bodies. The tent that's getting all worn out, that's, that's falling to the ground, is our earthly bodies. And it's looking forward to a day when God will grant us our heavenly bodies, our bodies transformed, renewed, glorified, one which will not wear out. A heavenly house not made with hands. As you get to the end of your life, you become worn out. And you definitely feel yourself being like this tent that is becoming torn and aged. Even at the age of 30, you can acknowledge to yourself that you, you can't do as much as you could when you were 20. How much more is that true if you're 70 or 80? And so it's a huge comfort in that kind of a setting for, to have God extend to us renewed heavenly bodies. Our bodies transformed so that they'll never have to wear out, get weary, or old. The aches and pains of this life are gone. And so when younger people think of death, we often tend to think of this. Maybe it's in the context of grandparents or other people whom you loved and you see the faith and joy with which some older people in our lives have been able to go with. And you think of the earthly suffering that they will no longer have to endure. And while you miss them, you know that they will no longer suffer. And the thought can be, I'm so thankful for that. I'm going to miss them. But they're in a better place, no longer feeling the aches and pains of this life. But being younger, we don't often think of ourselves in that position of facing death. If we do, we don't always think of it in terms of this, this could be me. This will be something that happens when I actually grow older, when I begin to wear out. And for the moment, we might not think in the way of Paul that for us in the present, to, to die could be gain. To die is gain. 
But the thing is, it's still true. Even if we die when we're young, if we are in Christ, then to die is gain. If we look ahead to Philippians 3, verses 7 to 8, the Apostle Paul compares every possible gain on earth as loss compared to the gain that we will have. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, we read there, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, God has prepared for those who love him. What the Holy Spirit teaches us there is that what God has prepared for us is beyond our imagination. It's gained beyond our imagination, whatever our stage of life is. And that knowledge, that knowledge that we belong to Christ and we're looking forward to that as believers should color the way that we live today. And this brings us to the third thing we'll consider, reassurance. To live is Christ. This was the theme of the Apostle Paul for today. But what does this look like for him? Verses 22 and 24, he says, But if I live in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. To remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Saying to live is Christ is saying that you live out of the certainty of whose you are. That you belong to Jesus Christ, that you are holding fast to that promise. And having been planted in the assurance of those promises, you strive to bloom where you've been planted. Drawing strength from that assurance, that knowledge, you desire to bloom where you're planted, you might say. Seeking to bloom, especially for the sake of Christ, and not just for yourself. Why? Well, knowing that to die is gain, we have to remember why it is gain to die. Because we are planted in Christ. Christ has bought us. Although we deserve the wrath of God, he has saved us from the wrath of God against sin. Whoever believes in him is accepted for his sake, redeemed, restored. And so, beloved, we are called here to let Christ, having bought us, show in our lives. Let it be the guiding principle in your life. You have been bought. You have been made a new creation. You've been raised up to a new life. And if Christ is the focus of your death, if Christ is your hope in death, let him be the focus of your life as well. He is the center of your life. Now this is not to say that this is because your work for Christ here is due to the fact that you're trying to earn something. It's not like Christ got you halfway and you're trying to work your way in for the rest. Because if you are Christ's, then it doesn't matter where you're found. If you are Christ's, 
It's not like you have to earn so many brownie points in order to get ahead. It means to die right now is gain. The question is one that has been settled for the believer. But as one who belongs to Christ, you're seeking to bloom where you're planted, to know Christ and to make him known, to be fruitful for the sake of the kingdom because you are a new person in Christ. And you don't need to be an apostle to do this. Now, as a young man, you young men know that the best way to be fruitful for the sake of the kingdom, if you have the gifts, is to work with the spreading of the gospel. There's a direct correlation there. The word is preached, the word goes out, and it doesn't come back empty, the Spirit of God teaches us. It doesn't come back empty. There's always a response of acceptance or rejection when the word is preached. And so I would encourage you, if you have the gifts, to pursue mission work or work in the ministry. That being said, if you don't have those gifts, it doesn't rule you out. Just as much as not being apostle doesn't rule you out. For you young men and young women, you can thrive in the midst of your Bible study. seeking to bring each other closer to the Christ whom you know your hope is founded, striving to deepen your own relationship with Christ, and in turn, turning around to make faith, your faith more real for those young people who are around you, to make the faith more real, not just your faith, but to encourage them in their walk as well. And in this way, even you, though you might feel inadequate to the greater task of being fruitful in the church, you can be fruitful, and many of you are fruitful for Christ already today. For all of you men, young or old, look to equip yourselves for leadership in the church. He who aspires to the task of an overseer desires a noble thing, 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. Not because the task has a special nobility to it, not just because of that, as one who is appointed by Christ himself, but because you are being fruitful for the sake of the kingdom. Single men as well. You have time and energy for things inside and outside of the church community that many who, do, who have families do not. Seek to equip yourselves for work within God's kingdom, striving to use your singleness for the kingdom. Examine yourself. How can I be fruitful for Christ today? You single woman as well. You have the opportunity to model godliness in a special way to the women who are in our society. The single, younger single woman in our congregation and even many who are outside. You can do this in a way that sometimes parents themselves can't. And you can have a significant influence on the eternal souls of those who are around you as an instrument in God's hands. Parents, you can do this with your sphere of the influence in the home. Fathers have a special role here. 
have been called to the task of spiritual leadership in the home, the spiritual head of the household. Christ has brought life to you. And now you get the awesome and beautiful task of being an instrument through whom God works to bring life in your children by the power of his spirit, knowing him yourself and making him known to your children. And mothers, you also have a special task here as those who nurture, as those who quite often have the most day-to-day influence on your children's lives. You too can be fruitful for Christ in growing and in knowing Christ and in making Christ known in the lives of your children. Wherever you are, wherever you are, you have a sphere of influence. And in that sphere of influence, as the Apostle Paul writes in the verses that follow, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Not you, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Don't be mistaken here. You have been already made worthy through Christ himself. Christ has already given you the free gift that the gospel brings, or else you could never say that to live is Christ and to die is gain. No, Christ has already given you that free gift that the gospel brings. Now let your life as a believer reflect that. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, he says in the verses that follow, that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Whether in church, in Bible study, or anywhere else, you, child of God, you're a new creation in Christ. You have the confidence of eternal hope in the face of death. You have the opportunity to let this confidence shape your day-to-day life. Living out Christ in your daily life is the highest calling that you could aspire to on this earth. That's what it is to hold fast to to live is Christ. Now, if you have not put your faith in Christ, if he's not yet your Lord, this confidence in this new life can be yours. For whoever believes in him will be saved. Repent and believe in him. You don't need to be an apostle for this to be true. Now coming back to the Apostle Paul, it's this knowledge of seeking first the kingdom of Christ that gives him hope, not just hope for eternity, but hope for the here and now. And the fact that Christ is being preached, as he says in verse 18, beyond his chains, both inside and outside the prison, this shows God's priorities to the Apostle Paul. God's priorities doesn't matter if Paul is in prison, God's priorities is the spread of that gospel, for that gospel to go out and to make waves. And he is even willing to have Paul in chains to let this be accomplished. Paul was able to touch the praetorian guard. Paul's imprisonment inspired others with new strength to go out. God was even willing to allow Paul to be in in chains for this. 
God's priorities are the spread of the gospel of Jesus in a powerful way through the instrument of Paul for this period of time, no matter what the hindrances might be. And this makes Paul certain that as his priorities line up with God's and his desire is also to be an instrument and to be one who is able to work in the kingdom of God, God will continue to give him more work to do. And yet he still allows for God's sovereign will, verse 20, to let Christ be magnified through his death. If God chooses to take him home, then as long as God does that in a way that ensures Christ is magnified through his death, Paul is content. But he is still certain that because to remain in the flesh is more needful for them, that he can be more fruitful if he remains in the flesh than being taken home. Being confident of this, he says, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and for your joy in the faith. And so whatever the outcome is, Paul is content. John Patton, the missionary to the New Hebrides, he, he captured this all in a, a beautiful phrase. He said, looking at all of this, I am immortal until my work is done. I am immortal until my work is done. And that truth is the same for everybody who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. For everyone who is striving to live in Christ. In Christ, if it is your goal to live out Christ in your day-to-day life, being fruitful in his kingdom, you can indeed rest in the assurance that you are immortal until your work is done. Because Christ is with you always every step of the way. He's with you every step of the way. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And when you are done and your race is run and you have finished the course, you can look back on it and be assured that yes, to live was Christ. And in hearing the words as you enter into heaven, well done, my good and faithful servant, you will know, you will know that to die is gain. Amen.